Psalm 96. So Psalm 96 is right at the beginning of what we call the Kingdom Psalms, starting at Psalm 95 through 100. And we'll probably get through 101 tonight also, but that's a different, that's a horse of a different color. But Psalm 96 through 100 have to deal with, or, or, or seem like they, they are talking about um, the Lord's glories and him reigning and calling people to worship him across the whole world. And of course, all of that will be ultimately, finally fulfilled in what we call the millennium and when Jesus is ruling and reigning on the earth. Uh, Psalm 96 says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Yeah, the call to sing to the Lord a new song. There's always a reason to sing to the Lord, always because of his continuous goodness to us. There's so much to thank him for, so much to be grateful to him for, to praise him for, and to sing a new song to him. Even if it's an old song, you can still sing it as a new person because of his goodness. He's always changing us. He's always um, bringing more light and truth into our lives, and we're becoming more and more going forward in the Lord. And so we can sing an old song in a new way. So there's always an opportunity to sing a new song to the Lord. But it's also all the earth. Middle of verse 2, proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day and declare his glory among the nations, his wonders among all the peoples. Psalm 96 is also called the missionary hymn for all ages because it, it aspires to bring the worship of the Lord across the whole earth, which is what we uh, certainly, as, uh, as with the rest of the church, are laboring towards and uh, looking towards. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of this right here that says, declare his glory among the nations, his wonder among all the people. Notice, also, it's proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. That's right linked into verse 1, praising the Lord, singing to the Lord, worshiping him. And uh, I think there is something very real that happens in worship, as you just experienced tonight, where the Lord does inhabit the praises of his people in a real way. And it is unique, utterly unique to Christianity. There are other religious systems, other religions that go through musical things, but they don't have what we have in this living union with the creator of the universe, who... Um, inhabits the praises of his people. There's something distinctly unique about that, in that when believers gather to worship the Lord and sing to him, and he is there receiving his, uh, the praise and being blessed by it, you know, worship preaches. And, belie- and unbelievers, when they encounter that reality, they encounter something they, they won't see anywhere else. And that is the presence of the Lord amongst his people as they are worshiping him. So worship preaches. Uh, Verse 4 gives us the reason to sing to the Lord and do these things. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. You know, things that are in our life that are great, we are excited about. And we are happy about. And the greatest thing in our lives is the Lord. And we ought to be the most excited about the Lord's presence in our life. Uh, And he is greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. Now, that's a little g there, gods. Um, The idea is not that the psalmist believes there are other gods. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that uh, the pagans who worship false gods... um, You know, if there is, like the New Testament says, if there is a spiritual reality behind those entities that they are naming and worshiping, at best, they are a demonic entity. And they are a created being. Uh, It may be an angelic being that has fallen. You know, that's that's what demons demons are, fallen angelic beings. And uh, maybe they are powerful. Maybe they are um, capable of influencing things in some way as, um, you know, maybe they can, but um, being a created being, they 
uh, are no match. They are no measure against the Lord. Um, because, you know, there was a time when they didn't exist. You know, everything here that we know of has a beginning somewhere. We all had our own beginnings. Uh, the earth had its beginning. All the angelic beings had a point where they were created. Before there, there was no. There were, there were no angels. And, uh, but God always existed. There's never a time when God did not exist. In fact, God is outside of time. He created time. And I'm going through all this to, to, to say this. There is an infinite gulf, unmeasurable distance between what the psalmist says here, uh, all gods, the little g, and the one true and living God. Uh, there is no comparison between them. God is far, far, far above them in an infinite way. Verse 5, for all the gods of the people are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his, his sanctuary. All the gods of the peoples are idols. Again, an idol is anything that uh, supplants the supremacy and the love and the praise that is due God in our lives, in a, in a human being's life. And everybody worships something. Like we said on Sunday, every person who's conscious enough to think and, and rationally go through their day in any way um, worships and serves something. Even if they are militant about their atheism, they are not without a worship principle in the life. That whatever drives them to go forward day by day, the, their image, their education, their position, their money, power, whatever, the uh, proclamation of their own atheism, then that's what their God is. That's what their idol is. And, uh, you know, we, we can't be so um, limited in thinking that just because there's no um, physical statue that they're worship, worshiping, that we're not worshiping, we're not idolaters. If something else supplants that supremacy of God, drives us forward, gathers our love, our time, those things that are uniquely ours and we, we, we are free to do with what we want, those things um, uh, that are, should be uniquely the Lord's, if they're not, then those are aimed at an idol. And... Um, so uh, the gods of the people are all idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Um, again, the Lord is the creator of all that we see. Uh, the sky, and I noticed the sky was light when I was driving to church today. <laughs> yes, it's getting warmer. And um, uh, the Lord created the heavens and all the entities of the sky, the sun, the moon, the stars. It's all his. He created it. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. So, verse 7, 8, 9, uh, give to the Lord, it's literally ascribe, interesting we sang that tonight, ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Um, okay, so in doing that, that's what we need to do, and it is good for us to do that. Um, the Lord is blessed by our worship, but he isn't changed at all by us worshiping him. It's we who are changed. It's, 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 it's essential for us. It's good for us to worship the Lord and to, in our worship, ascribe to him, render to him, um, account to him um, the glory, like it says there, um, the glory and strength, the glory due his name. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness, and holiness is beautiful. You know, there's a bad connotation of holiness out there that it's restrictive and it's dull and boring. And no, um, holiness means you're just set apart. It just means set apart. You're set apart from something and to something. In holiness, we're set apart from sin and from the world to the Lord and to, hol and to, uh, uh, to holiness. Um, the beauty of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. We're going to read that a lot tonight, that the Lord reigns. The world also is firmly established. It shall not be moved. 
He shall judge the peoples righteously. Verse 10 seems to be one of those verses, again, that cements this uh, idea that these are the kingdom psalms. Uh, He shall judge the peoples righteously. The Lord reigns. Maybe these verses are about the time when Jesus is on earth, and he will establish a uh, perfectly righteous uh, government around the world. Um, You know, he doesn't mean he will do everything, but the government he installs and the servants he uses will be perfectly righteous. And um, um, that will be good news. You know, it'll be unchanging. Um, It says the world is firmly established. That means that, that the government that he will bring will not be subject to change. And, you know, our own government is... Uh, as um, nobly high-minded it is in its institutions and its founding, still it is changing. And, um, you know, and we're unfortunately watching it change. Um, It's going to continue to change. Uh, It'll be good news and how we look forward to the time when the Lord brings about a government that does not change, that is perfectly righteous. Let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar in all its fullness. Um, The praises of the Lord even rising out of uh, creation in that um, the creation at that time will be released from its bondage to corruption. And so there is a... uh, that voice of, of creation that um, proclaims the Lord's glory then is at a much higher level. Uh, and so um, let the sea roar, let all its fullness, let the, let the field be joyful and all that is in it. Then the trees of the woods will rejoice before the Lord, for he is coming, for he is coming to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with his truth. And that will be a, a, an excellent, excellent thing. So here's the question. Um, you know, as we talk about the millennium, um, maybe you're not familiar with the term. The millennium just means thousand, and uh, millennia is the term that means millennium. Excuse me, millennia means thousand. It comes out of um, uh, it comes out of the Latin. Uh, the word millennium is not in the scriptures, but uh, the term describes what the Bible talks about in. Um, Revelation chapter six, uh, chapter twenty, and then throughout the Old Testament promises about the kingdom um, being established on earth, where uh, Israel will be the head of the nations, and um, that Jerusalem will be the capital of the world. Um, there's different views of the millennium. Um, up until probably the, the beginning of the twentieth century, um, post millennialism was very much the popular view, and that means that, that Jesus will return after the thousand years of um, a, a um, after that thousand years, Jesus will return. The thousand years of righteousness happens in that post-millennial thinking because the church evangelizes the world in post-millennial thinking, and the world becomes a righteous environment, and then at the end of that thousand years, the Lord returns. Well, the 20th century pretty much put the the spade and the grave on that idea um, uh, with, the, with the advent of World War I, II, and then the 20th century just being in, uh, the worst wars the, Lord, uh, the world has ever seen. Uh, postmillennialism fa- fell out of uh, theological um, popularity. Another view on the millennium is where they say uh, that the millennium is uh, spiritualized away. It's, it's, there will be no physical actual government with an actual physical king on earth, but um, in a spiritual kingdom that is happening now uh, with Jesus ruling and reigning over the church, and the church is the kingdom that he rules over, and the thousand years is just a, um, a generalized term to symbolically mean a long time. Um, and that's a, a, a very popular view these days. Um, but you have to spiritualize away the text. Um, uh, what we believe is, is premillennialism, and that is that Jesus returns bodily from heaven to the earth and uh, at, you know, at the end of the tribulation, and then he sets up a thousand-year kingdom. 
in which the, the world would be restored from all the devastation of the tribulation, but then also more than that, it will be uh, released from the corruption that we know now um, and that it will be um, a time of blessing upon the earth and peace. Um, and uh, so here's the question. Why do we believe that when most other mainline denominations believe the amillennialism? Why do we not agree with them? Well, it's because you take the Bible literally. Because when you pick it up and you see the Lord making promises in the Old Testament in those covenants um, to David and to Abraham, um, you see him talking about literal things. Um, When he talks to Abraham, I'm going to bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you. I'm going to make your name great. You shall be a blessing. Later on, he says, kings will come from you. You shall have a son. They'll inherit the land. When he gets to David, he makes the Davidic covenant. He says, I'm going to establish a kingdom through you. You're going to have um, one of your sons sit on the throne in, in, in Israel. Um, and that promise, because uh, there are other things in that covenant that were fulfilled, literally, the things that, that haven't been fulfilled, we have, um, we should take them literally. We should also take them literally. There is no grounds for suddenly saying the ones that are unfulfilled, well, we have to spiritualize away. But the ones we've already seen fulfilled, they're completely filled literally. Why wouldn't we think? So that's why you believe that there still remains a thousand-year period of time for Jesus to come and literally reign on earth. Um, so, okay, that's why I wanted to answer your theological questions. Now, I know those are all burning in your mind, and so that's why we answered those. Uh, let's go on to Psalm 97. Um, again, the Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Um, this is uh, about, again, um, reflecting on the power and the goodness and the love of the Lord. Um, again, this will be ultimately fulfilled when the Lord is on the earth. But, it, you know, under those three little words that the psalm starts with, the Lord reigns, really, Every believer ought to park their life underneath those three words, the Lord reigns. Um, uh, that is, um, you know, a framework through which we understand everything then. And it becomes um, something by which we find a great deal of comfort. Even in times when we don't know what is going on, times of great pain and loss, still we can know that the Lord is reigning. And we, we may not know the reasons for why the things we go through but um, we need to trust his goodness and that he is in control. It's not, it's not flying, flown off the, off the rails and he he's doesn't know what about it. No, the Lord reigns. And so um, uh, every Christian ought to um, be able to say amen to that. Let the earth rejoice. Let the multitude of the isles be glad. Multitude of the isles would be the uh, farthest reaches over the sea is the idea. Um, clouds and darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundations of his throne. A fire goes before him and burns up his enemies round about. His lightnings light the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the Lord of the whole earth. The heavens declare his righteousness and all the people see his glory. Again, there is some um, very picturesque uh, language there um, trying to portray the glory, the majesty, the power of the Lord. Uh, Let all be put to shame who served carved images, who boast of idols. Um, You know, what will they think of when the Lord does return? Worship him, all you gods. Um, Literally, this says... Um, worship him all you um, and then the word there for God's it gets picked up this verse this sentence gets picked up in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 6 and they translate it as um, worship him all you angels Um, Zion hears and is glad and the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments O Lord for you Lord are most high above all the earth You are exalted far above all gods. Again, we've heard that already. So here's the admonition. What do we do in light of this? You who love the Lord, 
hate evil. So there's two things there that ought to capture our attentions. Love the Lord is the first one, to love the Lord. Um, uh, you know, the flip side of that is to hate evil. And um, we should love the Lord. We are called to love the Lord with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, and all our strength. And in such a fashion that anything else that we could possibly have affections for would seem like hatred in comparison to the love we have for the Lord. It isn't that we hate those other things. I know that the atheists and those who hate the Bible like to take that verse that says, where Jesus says, um, unless you hate your father and mother, you know, you know that verse, but you would put that in context that um, the Lord does not call people to hate their families. Obviously not. Um, he is into families. He wants families restored and happy, and there be a beautiful relationship there. Um, but um, the relationships we have between the family um, all derive their meaning from the first relationship that we have with the Lord. And um, the love we have for the Lord eclipses all those other things that we could have love for. You who love the Lord hate evil. Um, we should hate evil. That's the admonition. Um, to be repulsed by it. To reject it. Um, and, you know, when we come out of the world, um, we need to reorient and examine our desires and what we love and realize we love the wrong things. And take those desires to the Lord and say, Lord, I love the wrong things. I know this is wrong, but I really want it. And when we first come to know the Lord, there's a process of him changing those desires. And he'll do that for you. And that's the beautiful thing is he's got the power, he's got the will, and he's got the access to your heart. So uh, we bring him our hearts. Like David said, search me, O God, and try my heart. See if there's any wicked ways. That's something we continue to do as we grow and walk with the Lord. We're growing in our love for the Lord, growing in our hatred for evil. He preserves the souls of his saints. He delivers them out of the hand of the wicked. I like this verse in number 11. Light is sown for the righteous and gladness for the upright in heart. Uh, Light is sown for the righteous. Um, You know that, that idea of sowing... Uh, is very significant in the scriptures. It's picked up throughout the scriptures with the idea of planting and watching something grow. Jesus uses it extensively in the New Testament um, in reference to the work of the kingdom and what to expect. And um, uh, the idea there is that uh, if you want light in your life, uh, the good news is, is that God is in the business of light and truth, and he, want, he will sow it into your life. And he'll do that through his word and through the Holy Spirit, illuminating that word in your hearts and minds, in our hearts and minds. And so there's an ever-increasing um, growth of light in our life. And uh, um, so I, I just think that's a great verse. Light is sown for the righteous. And gladness for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, you righteous, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. That's good to do. You're walking through your day. You're thinking about the Lord. Thank you, Lord. I just thank you. You know, uh, as a parent, I'm blessed when uh, my kid comes up to me and just wants to give me a kiss and say thanks and I love you. Like, okay, hey, let's go to the store and get you something. You know, you know, you ask whatever you want. And... Uh, because, you know, if they come to me, if he comes to me and says, you know, uh, he wants something, you can always see through that, you know. And uh, as any parent is, we're blessed by genuine expressions of love from our kids. And uh, so is the Father. So is the Father in heaven. Psalm 98. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. For he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have gained him the victory. Um, Ultimately, that was one, obviously, um, his right hand and his holy arm have gained him the victory. We don't know what this is actually tied to, what event, because it's kind of an orphan psalm. We don't know who wrote it. 
We don't know what they're referring to in what event um, that might be, they might be thinking of. But um, we certainly can look and see that the Lord has gained the final victory, obviously, and um, for us with Jesus at the cross and all that we needed um, in conquering our sin, in paying the penalty for our sin, um, and, and winning for us um, all the things we could not to guarantee us heaven instead of guaranteeing us hell. And uh, he has done that. Um, as a free gift out of his love and his mercy and his grace for us. And so um, sing to the Lord a new song. Again, uh, we always have cause to thank and praise the Lord in a new way, in a fresh way, as we reflect on what Jesus has done in his, his, his death and his resurrection. The Lord has made known his salvation, his righteousness he has revealed in the sight of the nations, He has remembered his mercy and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. These verses, again, whatever he's referencing, we don't know. But it's easy to see how these verses launch us out into the fullest and highest fulfillment of his uh, revealing salvation before the nations and remembering his faithfulness to the nation of Israel in the millennium when all the promises to um, the house of Israel are fulfilled completely with uh, a king, Jesus, sitting on the throne in Israel, ruling and reigning and bringing about um, the exaltation of Jerusalem and the Jews, as has been promised. He has remembered his mercy and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth in song, rejoice and sing praises. Sing to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of the psalm. Now, of course, the harp was their stringed instruments, and we've got some other stringed instruments we use. You know, we translate that into guitars, and so we have guitars. And if they had guitars back then, they would have had it. It would have been, it would have been, he would have written, sing to the Lord with the telecaster, or with the uh, whatever. Um, with trumpets and the sound of a horn, shout joyfully before the Lord, the King. Let the sea roar and all its fullness, the world and all those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills be joyful before, together before the Lord. For he is coming to judge the earth. With righteousness he shall judge the world and the peoples with equity. This sounds much like what we have already read. Psalm 99 Again, kingdom psalms about his uh, ruling and reigning. Um, This is a celebration of holiness. Psalm 99. The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He dwells between the cherubim. Let the earth be moved. The The Lord is great in Zion, and he is high above all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. He is holy. The king's strength also loves justice. Uh, You have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Well, you know, the uh, king's strength also loves justice. You've established equity. Um, You know, he is working out perfect justice and perfect equity. It may not seem like it right now. That's because we haven't seen the full picture. We can't judge things before the Lord is completely done. And if you're still breathing on earth, the Lord isn't done. And so um, you, we, we can't judge things before their time, before he's completely done. If you think it's, it's being not fair and he's not being equitous, it's because you're in the middle of things and you haven't seen the full picture. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool. He is holy. Moses and Aaron were among his priests, and Samuel was among those who called upon his name. Now, technically, Moses and Aaron were, were not both priests. Moses was not. Aaron was. He was the first high priest. Um, but, remember, the role of a priest was to represent um, the people before the Lord and then turn around also and reverse that and be the representative of God before the people. So Moses certainly did that. He didn't own, he didn't technically own the position of being a priest. Certainly Aaron did. 
Samuel uh, was among those who called upon his name, um, a great man in scriptures. Um, uh, back at the time of David, as David is a young man, Samuel was the last of the judges and the first of the prophets. And um, he was a great man. Um, they called upon the Lord, and he answered them. He spoke to them in the cloudy pillar. They kept his testimonies and the ordinance he gave them. You answered them, O Lord, our God. You were to them a God who forgives, though you took vengeance on their deeds. Well, that sounds a little funny, doesn't it? He took vengeance on their deeds. Well, they were, they were great men, Moses, Aaron, and Samuel, um, highly exalted figures in the Old Testament, yet they're just, average, they're just average guys. They're average, normal human beings, still in need of a, of a Savior, still um, weak, and in need of the Lord's help, they had times when they sinned and they failed. Moses um, misrepresented the Lord terribly um, when he should not have, when he was angry with the people, um, striking that rock the second time. You know that time when the Lord had just said to him, just go out and speak to that rock. But he got up there and um, conveyed to the people that God was angry with them when when God was not. And that was uh, something the Lord did not take lightly. And so, um, though the Lord forgave Moses for that sin, still there were consequences. The consequence was he could not lead the people into the promised land. Then, uh, you know, Samuel also, um, a a mighty man of the Lord, um, uh, overseeing the transition um, from the judges to the kings. He was kind of the king ordainer. He ordained... um, Samuel, uh, excuse me, Saul, and then also uh, David, anointed David king. But um, he had his own failings. Samuel, for all his, his might in the Lord, never restrained his sons. Um, his sons followed him in, in the priesthood, but were wicked. You'll see that in First um, Samuel chapter 8, um, where... The, where um, the people say, you know, Samuel, you're a great guy, but your sons stink. And um, he never, he never, you know, he never drew that line for his sons and saying, look, you guys are have terrible character. You're not following the Lord. You're not. You, you don't get the privilege of of this position of what the Lord is offering to you because your character is so bad. And so um, he had his own failures. Aaron, of course, Aaron's probably got the lamest excuse in all of Scripture. You know, I just threw the gold in the fire and this golden calf popped out. Uh, if that isn't the stupidest thing, uh, and, you know, but there it is. Uh, it's recorded in all you know, in a glorious technicolor for us to see. Um, but, you know, um, there were still consequences. He, the Lord forgave all their sins, um, but there were still consequences to their actions on the earth. And that is still the case. The Lord forgives our sins completely. We are free from the penalty of sin. But there may be consequences that are long-lasting to uh, ways in which we have run our lives into the ground. And the Lord is capable of redeeming all of those things, but it, you know, he, he still allows some consequences to remain. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy hill. For the Lord our God is holy. Um, Psalm 100, uh, it's a very short psalm, only five verses. Um, A psalm of thanksgiving, it says there. Probably the purest psalm of just thankfulness. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Um, So there's uh, five things right there in the first three verses. He is Lord. He is God. He is creator. He owns us. He is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people. He owns us. And he's also shepherd and the sheep of his pasture. Um, uh, Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. Now, Israel would look at that 
that phrase and understand, rightfully so, that if this comes out of a time of like David or Solomon, something like that, they would be ascribing the, um, the power and the prestige and the place Israel has among the nations to the work of the Lord, rightfully so. Um, that's exactly the way they see it. Um, but I like it in terms of it is he who has made us and not we ourselves. Um, you know, that's what evolution says. We made ourselves. Um, we just popped out of nothing, of course, and came about by accident. But um, the reality is it is he who has made us. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. So then we should do this. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Um, be thankful to him and bless his name, for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. Um, you know, as they went through their, um, their ceremonies of worshiping the Lord, they would have a way in which they would proclaim the Lord's goodness and worship him in the outer court. And as they drew near, they get to the next court, you know, the court of the Gentiles, and they would have another set of praises for the Lord. And then they would move into the, the next court, um, and then as they get farther and farther in, really the, the ornateness and the beauty and the value uh, of what you would be able to see in the court would increase. You know, you're in the outer court, it's just kind of the dusty entrance into the, into the, the temple, and you'd make it further in, and there'd be... Um, decorations. Eventually, you get into the courtyard, and then there'd be gold um, and bronze and silver. And then, when you went in finally into the the temple, it would be beautiful, ornate colors. And then, eventually, you get into the holy of holies, and it's all gold. It's gold, or it's the finest tapestries, beautiful artwork. And um, uh, you know, it's, I think that all that is also symbolic of. As we draw into worship, you know, the beauty of holiness is there in ever-increasing measures. And um, enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. Um, As we go forward in our life, we're we're growing in our thankfulness to the Lord and growing in uh, holiness. Um, Be thankful to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. Um, he is good to us all day and every day. And um, um, we need to remind ourselves of that always and be thankful to him for his goodness. His mercy is everlasting, and that is good news. You know, I'm glad his mercy is everlasting. It needs to be everlasting. Because even if I've, even, even after I have been in heaven for 10,000 years, as, you know, amazing grace, after we've been there 10,000 years, I still will not deserve to be there. And his mercy will have to sustain me there, sustain you there. So I'm very, very glad that his mercy is everlasting. And his truth endures to all generations. Um, He is good. His truth endures. And I need my glasses. I can't read my note I wrote there. Oh, yeah. He's, uh, he's everlasting mercy. Let's go to Psalm 101. And we're going to spend a little more time on Psalm 101. Because Psalm 101 is different. Um, Psalm 101 is about how to achieve a holy life and maintain it. It's a statement of, it's kind of a personal commitment, a personal contract David makes with himself between himself and the Lord in some ways, or before the Lord. Um, And so we're going to look at it and note some things and take stock of our own lives in terms of holiness and what he is saying versus what we are doing. says, I will sing of mercy and justice. To you, O Lord, I will sing praise. I will behave wisely in a perfect way or a blameless way. Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse perverse heart or a perverted heart or a twisted heart, 
shall not depart, excuse me, shall depart from me. I will not know wickedness. Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. The one who has a haughty look and a proud heart, him I will not endure. My eyes shall be on the faithful of the land that they may dwell with me. He who walks in a perfect way, he shall serve me. He who works deceit shall not dwell within my house. He who tells lies shall not continue in my presence. Early I will destroy all the wicked of the land, that I may cut off all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. Very strong statement about David wanting to be holy and how he's going to do it. And so, um, you know, it's, it's um, necessary upon us to recognize that the Lord, the Lord makes us holy by what he does for us. When we receive the Lord's goodness and grace and we come to believe him and receive him as Lord and Savior, we become his and we become holy um, because he says we are holy. Um, and that's, that's an objective fact before the Lord. But there's a way in which we need to increase in holiness only in a subjective way. And that's a way in which we need to exert our wills, make choices. And um, it just doesn't happen by us, you know, bumping our head on the wall and, and it's, oh, I'm holy today. No. Um, we have to think about what we're doing, why we're doing it, and determine with the Lord's help by the Holy Spirit working his will in us, as it says in Philippians 2, he works in us, for it is him who works in you both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. And so um, we need to cooperate with what he's writing into our hearts about being holy. And so David has the opportunity to do that. He's written it down. It's before us. We're going to look at it. He says, I will, first of all, he says in verse 2, I will behave wisely in a perfect way. He makes, the desi- he makes the statement that he has a desire to begin to act, behave wisely in a holy way. So, um, you know, right there, let's start right there and ask ourselves, do I have the will and the desire to be holy? Um, you know, we're, we're ingrained for a lot of things growing up to be self-centered and self-seeking and we get patted on the back for being that. But now that we're in the Lord, um, we're going to be happiest when we are holy. And um, we're going to be most fulfilled, most fruitful. So do we have a desire to be holy? Um, and be honest about it. Um, and if, if we can't find what we think is an appropriate level of desire to be holy, you know what, be honest before the Lord about that. And the Lord will meet you there and say, you know, as we confess it to him, he'll strengthen you in that desire and give you that desire. If you can come before the Lord and say, Lord, I want the want to be holy, he'll meet you there and he will do that. And then, and again, you know, when we lack holiness, then what's to replace what is in our life? If, if, there's, if there's not holiness, then it's unholiness. That's the sin, that's the passions, the evil desires arise out of us. And, um, um, you know, it's said that it takes a passion to overcome a passion. And so, um, in our love for the Lord, we need to ask the Lord to increase our love for him. That'll give us a desire to be more holy. He says, oh, when will you come to me? That's a statement of intimacy, a statement of relationship, of a desire to be with the Lord. Um, that's where our desire for holiness arises out of, is our intimate relationship with the Lord, leaning on him daily. Um, do you want to be with the Lord? Do you, want to, do you want to be found in his presence, consciously aware of his presence on a daily basis? Let's check ourselves in that. More than that, he says, I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. 
interesting, it starts with our desires before the Lord, and immediately the first place is the home. Uh, I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. You know, we can't control what's out there in the world. We get bombarded with garbage every day. Um, You know, we can't control what's on the billboards. We can't control what is in the workstations at work. We can't control what other people do there. We can't control what what music is playing. Um, You know, just a lot of that stuff is we get assaulted by it. But when we get home, that ought to be the place where all that onslaught from the world stops. And it'd be a place where we can rest in freedom from temptation and freedom from all that bombardment and that, that ungodliness and unholiness. I will walk within my house in a perf- with a perfect heart. Holiness needs to start at home. And so if we are um, in acting in unholy ways at home, then we should change that. We should go and eliminate those things that hit us with temptation. If we know that that's in there, we need to control that. Um, Here's what we need to do, verse 3. I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. Print that off on a piece of paper and hang it right as a banner right in front of your TV. (laughs) When a TV comes on, okay, um, i got to change the channel then, right? I can't watch that. Uh, Put it in front of your computer monitor, on your laptop, whatever. I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. Um, Again, there's a personal statement of making a determination to make the right choice. Job said it this way. um, I've made a covenant with my eyes. Uh, I will not, how's it go again? I've got to make sure I have it right. Um, I've made a covenant with my eyes. I will not look upon a young woman. For what is the allotment of God from on high and the... Oh, I had it. Now I'm embarrassed here. Kind of, you know, stage fright, you have it, and then you. Uh, Job said it that way. I made a covenant with my eyes. I will not look upon a young woman. He understood, even back then, and it's true today, you know, um, immorality sells. And, again, we can't control that. Uh, it, but we can, we can reduce it and and eliminate it from coming into our eyes when we're in our house. Notice it's, it's with our eyes first. We're going to set nothing wicked before our eyes. Later on, he's going to talk about our ears. Are we setting wicked things then before our eyes? If we want to grow in holiness, we're going to have to change that. It's just a checklist we're walking through. Nobody has this down perfectly. We're going to grow, though, and go before the Lord and be honest with these things. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. Um, it, it, you know, it's an interesting phrase. I hate the work of those who fall away. It's one thing to say I hate the work of the sinners that are out there, but this is somebody who was an influence in, in uh, David's life who once was with the Lord and now is not. You know, and that happens, unfortunately. That's a reality that uh, we know people who one time were with the Lord and now are not. And um, um, the idea is there, um, it's not that I hate them, but I hate what they have done. I hate what has taken over their life. And I'm not going to let that influence me. They are an important person to me, but but what is actively... Uh, energizing their life, I want nothing to do with. And so, um, again, that's, that might be a difficult decision sometimes we have to make with, with those who walk away from the Lord is to recognize that I can't let this person influence me with what is influencing them because it's going gonna, it's gonna to harm my walk with the Lord. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall depart from me. I will not know wickedness. Um... You know, uh, I will not know wickedness. You know, um, for this is kind of a trap that, that Bible teachers sometimes fall into and, and leaders. As you get older in the Lord, you know, you try to become relevant to and connect with the culture. So you go out and you start to, um, you know, try to see what the culture's doing and what they're about so you can communicate with them about them and be with them in the middle of that. And that's been a very strong hip, you know, theme of hipness in the church these days, where, you know, the, 
the pastors talking, you know, in trash talk from the using using stuff in the pulpit. You never would have heard, and and you know, encouraging people to be hip and cool and stuff. And you know, that's not what people need. Um, when they when sinners come into the church, they're not looking for more of the world. They're looking for something completely different. They're looking for holiness. They're looking for something that is out of this world and different. And, um, you know, I, I think um, the foundation of what we called the Jesus Movement um, was a good example of that. You know, with Pastor Chuck Smith out there in Southern California, when the Lord began to move, uh, he was a guy that was very straight-laced, suits on Sunday, you know, uh, teetotaler, very straight-laced, and the Lord brought him to minister to the hippies and, you know, unwashed, unshaven, smelly, um, and, uh, you know, not working, and he didn't try to, you know, dress like them and be hip and talk to them and cool. He just opened God's word, told them what it said, told them about what God wanted to do for them in his love and his goodness, and it wasn't any attempt to be relevant. It was just God's word. And it crossed into their hearts and minds without effort because that's what God's word does. And so, um, I will not know wickedness. You know, Bible teachers don't need to go out and research that stuff. It can be a trap that a lot of, I think a lot of Bible teachers have fallen into. Verse 5, whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, and this is now about the ears. We've talked about what we're going to do with our eyes. Now we're going to talk about what we're going to do with our ears. Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, I will, des- I will destroy. We're not going to tolerate um, the things that people say. Um, they're very common to slander people, to talk in gossip terms and slanderous ways. You know, um, certainly we should be free of cursing and swearing that shouldn't come out of anybody, any, any believer's mouth. But that, you know, the damage done there pales in comparison to the damage that is done by slander in talking negatively about people. And um, um, he's staying, saying here, I'm going to have zero toleration for that. Uh, I don't want that around me. Also, the one who has a haughty look and a proud heart, him will not endure. Again, the pride of heart. Um, you know the verse. Um, you know, kind of the encapsulated worth, pride goes before a fall. That's not what it says. It says, um, a haughty spirit, a uh, haughty look goes before a fall, and pride goeth before destruction. Um, so... Uh, Again, we're not going to, um, we're not going to uh, be attracted to people who are walking in pride. Um, verse six: My eyes shall be on the faithful of the land. What things we're not, what we're not going to do with our eyes. Now we're going to do is talk about what we are going to do with our eyes. My eyes should be on the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. He who walks in a perfect way, he shall serve me. Um, there's a couple of ways in which that works out. Um, Proverbs chapter 12 and 13 have a, a couple of uh, fundamental uh, instructions for us in this. Uh, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 26. The righteous should choose his friends carefully, for the way of the wicked leads them astray. Proverbs thirteen twenty. have your kids, grandkids, memorize this. He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm or will be destroyed. Um, we ought to be um, seeking out friendships with those who are going forward in the Lord. Um, we ought to be uh, joining or hooking our wagon to people who are also going forward in the Lord. Um, uh, you know, it's the old analogy, it's a lot easier to pull somebody down than it is to pull somebody up. And so uh, if um, we're struggling with holiness in our life, um, pay attention then to who we are, uh, who you are associating with on a 
intimate level, on, on an influence level. Who is influencing me? And you know, this is so much easier today to fall under the influence of people who are out in front of us. And somebody who's out in front of me, in front, out in front of you. It's so much easier to do today because of the advent of, of technology and the digital media. You can fall under the influence of, of, of very godly men and women who, who are going forward in the Lord um, and have wonderful fruit in their lives. And you think, man, I, when I get old in the Lord, I want to be like them. But we can, we can, we can, like we said, hook our wagon to them through the through the uh, the commonality of just all those digital things that are out there, the online Bible studies, and I, I get Bible studies on my phone for all the wonders of technology. Um, my eyes should be on the faithful of the land. If I want to grow in holiness, I got to hang out with people who are going forward in holiness. Um, you want to become a better guitar player? Who do you hang out with? People who don't know how to play the guitar or people who do? It's the same thing. You, you want to go forward in the Lord? You can hang out with people who are going forward in the Lord. If you hang out with people who aren't, you're seriously weighing yourself down with, with ungodly influences. Uh, he who walks in a perfect way, he shall serve me. He who, he who works deceit shall not dwell uh, in my house, in verse 7 and 8, um, we need to be careful with what he says here. He who works deceit shall not dwell within my house. He who tells lies shall not continue in my presence. As king, he is influence. He has the, he has the right to um, put in the best people around him in his kingdom. And those in his mind, rightfully so, are those who have a genuine love for the Lord, a desire to, to worship and serve the Lord. And that's who he's going to put in. Um, early I will destroy all the wicked of the land that I may cut off the evildoers from the city of the Lord. That's the way David is going to act. As king, he's going to go out and stomp out the uh, using what he has as influence in the administration that the Lord has given him, get rid of the evil people. Um, that comes to us as parents, as grandparents. Um, we're the police force in our own house. And uh, we're the ones who controls what comes in and goes out of the house. And so when our kids, our grandkids, they, can, they get into our house, um, we are checking all the things that they're taking in into their, into their little eyes, their little ears, to see to it that it isn't rottenness from the world. You know? um, and we need to be careful that day because there's an abundance. It's easy for kids to fall into that stuff haphazardly. They don't know, they don't know what they're doing. You know, little kids now have, have those mobile devices. And the predators are out there looking for them. And, uh, um, you know, with, with as many digital devices there are in the average house, uh, there's more of them than there are commodes in a house. So you can say that there's more garbage coming in than there is going out of the house. Um, we, we, need, we need to be the police of... Uh, with authority before the Lord of what is there in the house. And that's what I think being said here. Um, and it's a daily thing. Early I will destroy all the wicked. In other words, I'm going to be diligent about this uh, for myself, for the benefit of my family, for everybody who falls under the, uh, uh, the, the, the roof I have. Um, I'm going to see to it that there's no wickedness in the land that I administrate that I might cut off all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. So, um, again, Psalm 101, how to achieve a holy life and then how to maintain it. It takes um, some practical decision-making on our, on our part to exercise our will um, in fundamental choices, in what we do with our eyes, what we do with our ears, um, where, we, where we choose to associate with, with who, and um, then in the places where we have authority to see to it that others have the opportunity to be free from temptation and unholiness. So we're at the end of Psalm 101. Let's stand and we will finish there for tonight. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the admonitions of your scriptures that you want us to go forward in holiness and then you want to bless us and lead us to be more like yourself uh, we do pray for that renewed heart. You have 
said you gave us that that desire, Lord. So um, here we are to ask for an increase in desire. Thank you, Lord. Bless and strengthen and protect our families and send us out to serve you and glorify you uh, here in northeast Wisconsin. We love you, Lord, and we pray in your name. Amen.